episode 22 of Slam City. That's right, folks. It's Ray Memora, but our other co-host, Jeremy Epstein, couldn't make it today because, unfortunately, he had to be sick today and it kind of sucks, but it is what it is. I'm running solo today. Might have some guests on the show as well. We'll talk with Oliver Marine from Basketball Insider, talking about the NBA, whole season as a whole, talking about some baseball here and some football. You know, it's free for all today since it's a solo show. So we're going to talk about baseball first. Now, the Indians, they just advanced to the War Series and they beat the Blue Jays in five games. Now, let's be honest here. I think a lot of people will agree that the Blue Jays were probably going to win against the Indians. A lot of people didn't think the Indians, with the roster that they have, with the way Terry Francona managed it, will go this far. Well, he proved everybody wrong because this roster itself not only went up to expectations, but really, they surprised everybody. I mean, when you have a bullpen with Andrew Miller in it, you're going to do a lot of good things. And then you have a lineup, a solid hitting lineup, led by Francisco Lindor. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's unbelievable to see a, a team being able to not only beat the Blue Jays, but beat them hard. Almost like the C- Cleveland Cavaliers in their Eastern Conference run to the finals, just sweeping everybody until they face Toronto, which is ironic. And they lost that they lost two games and then they won the next two. Well in this case they lost one game and then they won the next one on the road. Just like Cleveland did it in the Cavaliers, I mean, for basketball. It was interesting to see that. But going back to the this series between Indians and Blue Jays, you know, Jose Batista was talking trash about facing a young pitcher, he thought he could live up to his potential. Well, the long pitcher shut him down and he shut down most of the hitting lineup. And let's be honest, that Blue Jays starting lineup, you know, when they're on, they're on. But for this postseason, they weren't on. And and it's a byproduct of why the MLB team needs to understand that when you have home run hitters, they're not effective in the postseason because they're facing great pitchers. And, and if you look at it from that perspective, you know, I remember when the Yankees a few years ago had a home run hitting lineup. And then they got shut down in, in the ALC against the Detroit Tigers. Because it just couldn't hit. When you can't hit, especially when it's singles or doubles in the postseason, you're probably going to lose. I mean, last year the Royals made it because they have hitters. And they have hitters that they just keep grinding. You know, they're not a home run hitting team. You just got to hit and hit and hit. They're like an assembly line. You know, there was one uh, uh, inning, actually, against the Astros. You can't see Royals last year were in the eighth inning they just hit 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 and they were down by four and they came back and they won the game and they won the series <clears throat> then they went on to win the world series and even though the Mets pitchers were great just the Kansas City Royals had just had hitters they had solid hitters not people who hit home runs and in this case the Indians you know they have hitters and they have some home run hitters but the Blue Jays is just a home run hitting team which is why they got exposed and this is why it's probably gonna be the last one for that core group because I know Batista's probably gonna leave you probably gotta have Donaldson maybe get traded. We don't know for sure. We don't know what Troy Tawinski is. If they got to trade him, they got, are they just going to keep him? But a lot of people are going to leave. You know, the, most likely, I, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they stay together for one more year. But I think it's time for them to move on. And as for the Indians, they get to the World Series. And this is a dream country for Cleveland. The Cleveland Cavaliers just won a title. Now the Indians want to win an, a World Series. Make that city a... Uh, championship city now for this year and probably for next year as well and it seems to see that they start the worst series on Tuesday when the Cuban Cavaliers open up against the New York Knicks and the other side they're probably like 40 feet away apparently but I don't, I don't know about that but it's going to be interesting to see that that day probably the best day for Cleveland fans when when they give the ring ceremony to LeBron James and then the Indians play the first game against you know the Dodgers and Cubs which we get into right now Yesterday was a must-win game for the Cubs because the one thing that the Cubs don't want to do is be down against the Dodgers, especially when Clayton Kershaw waiting in Game 6. So they had to win this game yesterday. And there, there was a moment in, in, in the game where they almost looked like they were going to give it away. You know, there, there was an inning. I'm, I'm not too sure which inning it was, but there was one inning where they were pretty much going to be in a dire situation of not being down one zip against the Dodgers or 
just you know because they, they did get a run in and it was kind of tight it was 3-1 people thought that was going to come back but then the Cubs opened it up and then from that point on they won the game and I think I know a lot of Cub fans were probably nervous about oh well the curse is going to be upon us again and we're going to blow this well they won yesterday and they lived another day and they're going to face them again on Saturday but looking into that game yesterday you you could you know as as a fan especially from baseball that when a team isn't really hitting in the postseason they got to find their stroke I mean they were the Cubs weren't hitting against the Giants and then we all knew that they were eventually going to break out at that and started hitting well they did because after they, they lost game three people thought well the Cubs are in trouble they don't win game four and they won game four they tied it up and their hitting started coming they had 10 runs in the game four in game five they had eight runs so in a two-game span they had 18 runs at the Rizzo Rizzo woke up Chris Bryant you know he did what he did best was hitting the ball well the pitching was solid and pretty much they're in a situation right now where they win tomorrow on uh, tomorrow and the series is over and they get to the World Series but I think Cub fans know from 2003 being up 3-2 thought that they were going to go advance to the World Series in 2003 and then they blew that as well and I don't think they want that to happen again they know deep inside that they're going to have to find a way to beat Kershaw but the way I see it this is going to be in 7 games because I have no doubt in my mind that Clayton Kershaw does, doesn't want this to end in 6 he wants to extend this to 7 games and he will do whatever it takes to beat the Cubs tomorrow and I know for sure because this this guy is on a roll right now I mean I mean he broke all the demons inside of him of not being able to form up to expectations in the postseason suddenly has a regular season focus getting into the postseason and now you know it's gonna be, it's gonna be a tough game tomorrow you know it's gonna be a low scoring game you're facing the best pitcher in the, in the MLB right now I mean this guy's a freaking nature <coughs> and Dave Roberts knows that if they win tomorrow they're going to use Kershaw probably in Game 7 on a short rest as a reliever. And they'll put more pressure on the Cubs. Because the Cubs know that they're expected to win the World Series. Now, Vegas actually has changed the odds of the Dodgers winning the World Series after they were down. But I think it's going to change going into this game now that they're up. But the Cubs, with pretty much over 100 years of not winning the World Series, wanting to break that curse... This is their chance. This is this is what champions are made of. They they're in, in situations where no one can expect them to succeed. No one thought that they could make it this far. And they could just fold into the pressure. Well, this is your chance, Cubs. Are you gonna deliver? Or you're gonna fall short again and you have to do all this again next next season. And it's gonna be even tougher. Because even though you guys have a solid hitting lineup, probably one of the best in the league for over for ten years, that pitch is gonna change. John Lester ain't getting any younger. I mean, you think he's going to do what he did this season going into next season? Will Jake Arrieta try to do what he did last season and maybe bring it along in this World Series if they make it? Joe Madden has made this team focus. You know, they're patient at the plate. The pickup of Ben Zorpers was definitely a, a big addition to this team. For veteran boys... For veteran presence, of course, and just be able to understand the situational baseball, which the Cubs are, have to be able to execute because they're a home run hitting team, but and they gotta figure out a way to just hit, you know, doubles, singles, whatever they can. So it'd be interesting to see what the Cubs are gonna do, because they they gotta win this t tomorrow. This is this is really big. I think it's a stat I, I read on uh, Sports Illustrated, especially with this team, you know, winning over a hundred games of of their hitting on you know going into the this series they were 8 for 73 from the Giants but now I think they broke that as a team and combined for pretty much uh, I would say more than 20 runs as of right now from these games but we will find out where this Cubs team is going to be and we will find out how this World Series is going to be if you have the Cubs and Indians you're going to have two teams trying to break a curse trying to win a World Series you got the Dodgers and, and Indians. I mean, that would be interesting, too. 
going to be Cleveland against LA. Almost like something that could have happened in 2009 with LeBron versus Kobe, but LeBron fell short, Kobe advanced, and he won the championship. Maybe we'll see that. Maybe we'll see a Cleveland versus Los Angeles. Maybe we'll see a, a, a Kershaw going up against that Cleveland starting lineup. We'll see Andrew Miller trying to close it against a Dodgers uh, hitting lineup. You know, especially because the hitters on that Dodgers team, they might not be known as superstars, but they can sure hit the ball. So we should even see that. But I, I think we're going to see a Cubs versus Indians. And it's going to be a good series. And, and I expect it to be long. And I think the Cubs possibly can win it in five or six. But I wouldn't be shocked if the Indians try to win it. Because it may tell these two managers, Terry Francona and Joe Madden, it's going to be a game of chess between who, who makes the right Slam move City. and who makes the wrong move. I'm here with Oliver Marino from Basketball Insider. We'll be talking about the NBA season, which starts next week, and a couple of other teams. Oliver, how are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. How are you guys? I'm doing well. Uh, we, I, we actually... This is the solo show today, but we want. I wanted to ask you specifically on uh, about the teams in the Western Conference before we get to the East. You know, since you were uh, based, you're based in Portland right now, correct? That is true. That is yeah. true. So, talking about uh, the Portland Trailblazers, what are the expectations for this team now that they went five games against the Warriors last uh, postseason, and it was actually five tough games? What do you think they're going to do this season? I think they'll be. Uh, I think they'll be firmly in the playoff mix. I think they're probably a four or five seed this season, um, depending on how everything falls. They're just they're very deep, um, so injuries aren't really much of a concern. I mean, obviously, when you lose a guy like Damian Lillard, that may be a problem, but um, you know that 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 doesn't seem to be something that could happen. Uh, this team is very deep, and like I said, I mean, they've got probably nine to ten players that could potentially play. Um, anywhere from you know five minutes a night to thirty or thirty-five minutes a night. So this team is very deep. They've got a lot of room to grow and improve. All their all the team basically is under thirty years of age. They're you know one of the brightest I think teams in the NBA. When you talk about locker rooms, when you talk about the attitude that the the locker room has, uh, it really really translates well. Stotts is great at rotating this team in and out. And does an excellent job of getting the most out of guys, even in like rotational minutes. So they're going to be very, very good. I think that they'll have an excellent season. I, I'm kind of pinning them at close to 50 wins. Interesting. You know, you you look at this team and and they shot a lot of threes last season, and yet they pick up a player in Evan Turner, who's not really known to be a three-point shooter, but he has good length and he can have a mid-range game. Do you see him possibly expanding his game to a three-point line with this team? Sure, I think that you're going to see him, and in, in, I, I kind of think that he's going to be a six-man on this team um, for the time being, and I think that that's a very good role for a guy like Evan Turner. I think playing against bench guys, he has a very good opportunity to be better than most of the other opposing players that he's playing against. His size definitely gives him the advantage when he wants to shoot, um, and I know that he's worked on the three-point shot. I know this preseason it hasn't been wonderful efficiency-wise for him, but He's still trying to find a role and trying to find that niche on this team. So it, it'll take a couple of months to kind of get him into the system and get him in running where he wants to. But once he finds his niche, I think that this Blazers team is going to be better off with him coming off the bench potentially. Um, and then into the playoffs, he's going to be a crucial, crucial player, uh, specifically because of his size and his defense. Uh, you know, Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum just aren't known as the defensive stalwarts like a guy like Evan Turner could be. Based on his size, length, athletic ability, um, there's not much, you know, on this Blazers roster when you talk about that sort of thing. So, Evan Turner brings a lot to the table for this Blazers team, and definitely a, a more versatile player. I think he'll be able to kind of get that three-point shot down close to the end of the season. Interesting, and certainly that was definitely help out for the team as other opponents will start to respect him from the three-point line. Um, going into another team in the Western Conference before we get into the Warriors, of course. Uh, the San Antonio Spurs, you know, they, they lost Duncan. They picked up Gasol. There are some rumors about LaMarcus Aldridge uh, possibly being traded, but he shut that down immediately because, you know, they're, they're winning last year and they broke records. Do you see that team being a, a big-time threat with Gasol, or are they just going to be in, in the middle of the pack of the Western Conference? 
I think they'll be just as good as they were last year, if not better. Uh, you know, Tim Duncan is a great player. He, you know, obviously retired. He's a big leader in that locker room from what, what we hear. Um, but when you look at a player like Tim Duncan in his last season, he didn't perform as well as people would have thought. And I think that he, you know, he certainly had that, you know, uh, retirement feel to him towards the end of the season there, uh, especially against Oklahoma City. He just didn't look like much of a threat. I think a guy like Pau Gasol, he's so smart. I mean, like, you talk about players in the NBA and their IQs. Yeah. He's going to be able to figure this thing out. And the other thing that you know people don't talk about is is the San Antonio Spurs gave him quite a bit of money, considering where they were with the cap. And that leads me to to think that Greg Popovich knows what he's doing. Uh, there's got to be something behind this to base it off of. And I think a guy like Pau Gasol, if he can thrive in a Popovich offense and a Popovich scheme with guys like Lamarcus Aldridge and Kawhi Leonard, they're going to be perfectly fine. I, I don't I don't see them taking a drop off at all. Yeah, certainly you, you gotta respect Popovich for what he's done over the past years with this with this uh, franchise, and now they probably be a contender again this year. Uh, going in now into the Warriors, or, or we call them the Death Star of the NBA because they picked up Durant. And you look at what they did in the preseason. We know it's just preseason, but the way they play offensively, it's just it's mind-boggling to see a team shoot threes that effectively that open at, with all the spacing. That makes you be a little bit concerned about how they are defensively. But is there a concern for the team in terms of their defense opposed to their offense? I don't think, you know, uh, as much as people want to pick apart this team, it's really early to say how this team's going to perform during the regular season. And, you know, with a new guy coming into that system and, uh, you know, I guess you could say the loss of depth that they, they, they got rid of or – had to get rid of to get Durant, you know, that, that, that's going to be the only real concern, and, and you're going to have concerns going into the season. I mean, this is going to take a couple of months for them to kind of work out the kinks and figure out who plays where, and, you know, the biggest thing in the NBA is knowing your role, knowing, you know, where you're going to be, knowing how you're going to play, your fit within a team. And Steve Kerr has done an excellent job of doing that previously, yeah. But now he's got another ego to manage. He's got another, you know, perennial all-star and Kevin Durant to kind of figure out. I think it's going to work out for him. I mean, clearly they've got four all-stars. They're pretty uh, unselfish in the scheme of things. When you talk about NBA players, they all want to win. So, it, you know, all the intangibles are there. All the things that they're saying are correct and right. My only concern with this team moving forward is Draymond Green. And it's not his attitude, um, but it, it really is, you know, it started in the summer. He uh, obviously had the pictures come out, yeah. and it seemed, seemed to affect him mentally. The Olympics, obviously, he, he didn't come come to play. I, I mean, I thought he was definitely, you know, subpar in the Olympics performances that he put in. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is the most cautious. You know, the thing that I'm scared about most with this team, if he can't figure it out, and, you know, he's taken another step back from his already, you know, kind of the third wheel, I guess, on this team. Now he's the fourth wheel, or what most people would consider the, you know, the, the fourth best option on a team. How does he, you know, how does that affect him mentally, physically? How does he play? I mean, you know, he's a huge part of this team. I think he's definitely uh, right up there with Steph Curry as most valuable for this team. He made a lot of things happen that people don't recognize. His pick and roll offense is tremendous his defense is one of the best in the nba and his versatility is amazing so you know that question mark is the biggest question mark i have about this team moving forward you know you, you can make a case that he looks like a, a mini lebron james for this team with his size and, and playmaking skills if you think about it definitely no no doubt about it i mean this guy saved them in multiple occasions in the playoffs uh where they shouldn't have won games and they they end up winning them uh you know a lot of it comes off of Draymond Green, whether it's an actual shot from Draymond Green is, is minute. I mean, he creates opportunities for Steph and Clay, and that's how they've worked this offense so tremendously is when he's running the pick and roll properly and moving on offense, it's very hard to defend. Do you, do you believe, though, that possibly he has to be the person that has to be the playmaker with this roster, especially with Durant now added to the team? Because, you know, you have pretty much three snipers on the team. 
and you need somebody who can pretty much be a playmaker and pass the ball around. You think he's maybe one who's taking a step back, or maybe somebody else like a Clay Thompson, for instance, just to do more defensive assignments and, and have Durant Curry take more shots. I think that he's kind of he's a big portion of this offense, and it's not it's not the the primary ball handler, right? He's not going to be a yeah. primary ball handler. He's probably going to be the secondary guy that they look to to pass, and then he can kick it out. I think that's where you're going to see most most of his opportunities and why he'll be he'll be successful if he is successful with this team this year is you know getting the ball in the paint and then kicking it back out because um, you've got three as you mentioned three really really efficient scorers yeah. on offense and they can shoot from virtually anywhere on the court at any point in time. It, teams won't be able to match up with any of them, so they're going to have open shots, but it's his job to find those open shots for a lot of these guys because he's not the shooter. So I think that teams are going to recognize that, and he's going to be a crucial part of this offense if he can you know, work through double teams potentially in the post and learn how to play against bigger players because I think that you know every NBA team saw what the Oklahoma City Thunder did to them last season. They really banged them up in the post, and that took a real big toll on this team. So... I think that you'll see quite a few different uh, variables come into play, but I think that Draymond Green is definitely, you know, one of the he, he's he's basically the, the steering wheel on this offense, if you want to put it that way. The other three are the engine; they make everything go. As long as they can hit the threes and um, become open and, and make sure that their teammates are open, that's great. But Draymond Green, if you can't steer a steering wheel, you're going to end up in a car crash. So I think that you know. <laughs> He, he's, he's a very important part of this team, and he's been understated all summer. I, I, I don't really understand. You know, Durant is my – he's he's a minor concern in my mind. Draymond Green and how he affects this team on offense will be the biggest question mark moving forward. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, going now from the west to the east, you know, you see the Eastern Conference got more competitive, and, of course, Cleveland Cavaliers are still the favorites to, to get out of it and get to the finals. What team in the east should we – focus on is it the bulls is it the knicks is it somebody that we haven't talked about the pistons or the hornets there's a lot of teams in that you know bottom tier of the eastern conference playoff conversation that you could talk about and say man this if they can put it all together and the dominoes fall right this could work out really well I think the highest upside team in the eastern conference in my mind is a team like the Milwaukee Bucks um, the only reason I say that is they've got, you know, Giannis can take another step. Um, he's still really young and can improve. They've done some things in the offseason that I, I like. Um, they added, you know, obviously veteran leadership like a Jason Terry. Uh, and then you get a guy like Snell, obviously, from the MCW trade. Yeah, That's going to be, um, you know, Jason Kidd needs to come back and rebound from a pretty poor season last season. If Chris Middleton can come back like mid-year, you could see them be one of the best teams after the All-Star break potentially. Uh, looking at their schedule, it, it didn't look very difficult from February on, and I think that they could rattle off quite a few wins. So they may be able to sneak into the playoffs given you know kind of the bottom tier of the, the NBA uh, or the Eastern Conference, I would say. Um, so that's a team that I would look out for just based on their potential, the youth that they have. I think Thon Makers... Obviously, we're very, very raw, but he's long. He's I think he's definitely, player. yeah, he's a good player, man. He, you can tell. I mean, he's yeah. got all the, the the skill set. I guess you could say he checks all the boxes statistically as far as his size, his length, his versatility. But um, if he can put together, you know, and start to learn this offense quickly, I think that he's going to become a force to be reckoned with and could be a double double machine for this team. And, and you know, you could tell from the Bucks though, like from that starting lineup, that they're, they're probably the longest team in the NBA. And you know how Kid likes to have like a lot of long players on the team that are six, seven, and a yeah. Point. And it, it's just it's just unbelievable. It makes it almost like they could play zone defense and he gets steals all the time instead of playing man to man. Definitely, yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, he can he can really work with this team, and I think, you know, the only thing that's going against him is obviously the Middleton injury was yeah. huge for them. That that's a disappointment. Uh, you know, they get Michael Beasley, I believe, from the Houston Rockets. There, that's not a bad little pickup, I think, uh, based on what you what you could get for him. 
Um, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, but I, I think the Bucks have a chance to potentially rattle off some wins. Like I said, late in the season, if Middleton comes back the way we think he should be, um, you know that that's going to be a team to be reckoned with in the Eastern Conference. And also one one other team because you know we're from New York based uh, podcast about the Knicks and and their roster. And they made of course a lot of trades for the Rose, and then they picked up Noah for a four-year deal and Courtney Lee and Jennings as well it, it, when they're healthy and they're on point because a lot of analysis like Charles Barkley said you know if Carmelo Anthony and Joe King Noah Rose they play at their highest level I don't think a lot of people want to play against them do you agree with that yeah you don't want to play against a team with two stars like that specifically because I think Carmelo Anthony has in this time of his career realized what's more important and I think that he got it I mean it just seems like he Something clicked with him. Um, you know, I've never been a big believer in Carmelo Anthony just because he's a score-first player and wasn't necessarily the most efficient player on the court either. So that was working against him for a while, and that's why I felt you know strongly about him not being you know an excellent NBA player. But when you look at his overall skill set and what he did in the Olympics, that gives you a lot of hope to think that this Knicks team could be a lot better than people expect it to be. Carmelo is, you know, he's grown, he's improved, he's matured. And at this point in his career, I think he's looking at, like, you know, there's only so much time left in the window to potentially get a championship out of this. And, uh, yeah, when you add a guy like Derrick Rose, as long as he's healthy and, you know, he's playing at a somewhat efficient level, um, I think this next team could definitely sneak up on some people. And also, you look at uh, Chris Kraft-Porzingis taking a step into year two, and, you know, he's not... Sure. A car Anthony Towns, who, who's probably going to be a superstar in a year from now because this guy's skilled as anybody I've ever seen that early. But you look at Porzingis, and he did a lot of off-season workouts from his dribbling, and now he's starting to do the mm-hmm. step-back shots. I mean, what can we expect from him? A, a 18 and 10 type of year? Is it possible that he could be a first-scoring option later in the year when they figure out that Porzingis is taking more opportunities on offense? Yeah, so I think Chris S. Porzingis, I mean, he, he may not take a step forward in points necessarily, um, just because I think that they've got a lot more offensive weapons on this team than they have in the past, um, which I don't think it works against Chris Apps. I think that when you're looking at him overall, he could be a really good decoy on this team. A guy who can stretch the floor like that can open up driving lanes for guys like Derrick Rose and Carmelo Anthony and give them easier transition buckets, easy buckets, you know, uh, when they slow down their offense in the half court. I think that they have opportunities there that haven't really been seized upon fully. And, you know, a guy like Chris Stapps, defenses have to take him into consideration, especially even on the perimeter. And when you have to do that, you're now moving your bigs out of that driving lane and, and opening it up for a guy like Derrick Rose or Courtney Lee or Carmelo Anthony, whoever that player is. So it, I think that's crucial for this team, and I think that Chris Tapps is going to really develop an idea of being a sharpshooter on the outside, stretching the floor more. Um, you know, Like I said, he may bang the boards a little bit uh, more often than we saw last season. I just think that he's going to be a threat either way he goes, and it may not result in more statistics, but it's going to result in better play overall when you watch him on the court. But you know, and you also look at the roster itself, and you know it's an older roster. You think Jeff Hornacek may put Porzingis as, as a first scoring option? Not right now, of course, because it's early in the season. But when they look at it, when he when he does get scoring opportunities, and 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 they realize how skilled he is, especially at his age, at 21 years old, you think Melo will take a step back and Rose and those people make Porzingis be the the guy on the team? Sure, I think that he could take a step forward and become like a second option on this team. I don't think he's going to be the first option, just based on the fact that, I mean, we know Derrick Rose is in a contract year. He's already gone through kind of the legal issues that he went through this offseason, and he's got to prove to people that he's worth the money and, and can get paid again. And uh, so I think that he's going to be kind of he, – he's going to be having <laughs> – uh, basically free reign to do whatever he wants to do on offense, in my opinion. So it's going to be difficult for him to be the first option just based on the way he plays. I think he's Chris Apps is one of the more mature, younger players that we've seen in this league, and his you know unselfishness is, is part of the reason I like him with this Knicks team because you've already got, like I said, a, a score-first guy yeah. in Carmelo Anthony, a score-first guy in Derrick Rose. I think, you know, He's going to let this thing play out, and maybe Jeff Hornacek moves him in more often 
um, in late-game situations. I think that he's definitely an option to consider. Uh, even with a guy like Carmelo Anthony, I think that it's it's good to have other options when you need them because you know teams are going to go directly to Carmelo for late-game situations. So I, I think that's an option there. And he, he could, like I said, maybe a year or two down the road become that scorer first option depending on what Derrick Rose ends up doing and yeah. how Carmelo ends up developing or playing based on his age. But, yeah, you know, I think that, Chris Stapps will wait out his period, and, you know, I don't, I don't think he needs to be his fourth first guy on this team. Interesting. So now I look at the Knicks. Boston, the Bulls, the Celtics, all these teams, are they a threat to the Cavaliers, or, or the Cavaliers are just that great in the Eastern Conference? It's hard to see a scenario where the Cavaliers don't make the Eastern Conference finals um, at, at very minimum, if not just the finals. I mean, it's just... It's really difficult. But if you want to make a case for a couple teams, I think Boston's definitely in that conversation based on the way they play defense and yeah. their addition of Al Horford. Um, I think that helps them immensely. Uh, if they can continue to be healthy, um, because I think their depth works to their advantage, then I think that that will help them against a team like Cleveland and potentially could string this thing to seven games if you're looking at a late-season kind of NBA uh, you know, Eastern Conference Finals kind of situation. Yeah. But uh, other than that, I mean, it, Toronto gave, you know, fits to a couple teams last season, but I just don't really realistically see them taking that next step forward to become an Eastern Conference finalist. The only other team that a lot of people have talked about this offseason, and I do believe they could give Cleveland some struggles, would be Detroit. Um, and the reason I think that is just based on Stan Van Gundy's track record against the Cavs and against LeBron. Yeah, sure. He's done an excellent job of just making sure that he's uh, on top of things defensively. He almost, I mean, a couple different times, you know, obviously the Magic getting past him that, uh, way back when Dwight Howard was in his prime. But, uh, yeah, he's just had a proven track record, and I think this Detroit Pistons team is definitely, you know, deep enough, long enough, athletic enough, um, and they just have potential to kind of have a chip on their shoulder, really give LeBron and the Cavs fits in a lot of different fashions. So that would be the only other team that I could see potentially sneaking in there and, and giving the Cleveland Cavaliers any sort of scare. What, what about the Indiana Pacers and also leaving one more team from the Eastern Conference giving LeBron kind of some trouble as well? Uh, well, actually not trouble because they swept them last season, but with the addition of Dwight Howard, you think the Hawks can actually play better now? I think the Hawks will, will be fine. I don't I don't really understand, you know, I think Dwight Howard going back home is a good thing for him. Uh, I think they're going to end up just fine probably in the, you know, five through eight range in the playoffs somewhere in there. I think they've got a good enough team to continue to move forward. Um, there's question marks surrounding them for sure. I mean, when you move a starting point guard and you go to Dennis Schroeder, there's a lot of question marks. And then, obviously, leaving Al Horford in the dust and, and going with a guy like Dwight Howard, there's definitely some bigger egos there and definitely some, some management that needs to go on in order to make that happen. But Atlanta, I, I don't see them as a threat to Cleveland. The You know, you make a good point about um, – the other team that you mentioned Indiana previously, yeah, Indiana. Sorry, I'm, I'm losing my mind here. <laughs> but uh, um, it, Indiana is definitely an interesting team. I, I, Nate McMillan, to me, he needs to prove it <laughs> because yeah. uh, anytime you know that that's my main concern with this team. Um, I, I you know, look, Frank Vogel did a lot of things for this team that people I, I don't think really fully recognize. And Nate McMillan coming in has all the confidence in the world to do this and make sure that it works out. He's got the talent. It's a matter of putting it together, making sure they can win ball games. And, um, you know, when you look at the team overall, they've got a, a decent amount of veterans that have had injury history. And that, to me, is a little bit of a concern with the Indiana Pacers moving forward. Um, I think they're deep enough. I think they're strong enough. But uh, if they get a couple of injuries, it's going to be very difficult for them to well, push for, for getting up there in the playoffs. But certainly, we'll also with Paul George healthy and ready to go. You know, this might be a, a, a breakout year for him. And maybe Definitely. competing against LeBron, it'll be good for him, especially coming back from the Olympics. Um, I want to ask two more questions. Uh, one of them is actually about Russell Westbrook and the Kevin Durant drama. 
Do you see this as more of the Shaq and Kobe drama when when Shaq was traded to the Miami Heat and you know Kobe was pretty much the the man on the Lakers and you know even though they were in a rebuilding situation and a couple of years they started to get gel and then win the title. You think these you think Russell and Kevin are gonna have this kind of feud thing like Shaq and Kobe had back in the day? I think it's similar to that for sure. I think that you know it sounds like. And it sounds like Russell Westbrook is pretty hurt by it. It doesn't sound like he was told in the right fashion or right way. Yeah. I, whether that's true or not, nobody really knows. I mean, Russell Westbrook could be making it up for all we know. But the 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 idea that Russell Westbrook is not upset is probably false, just based on what he's done this offseason <laughs> and how he's responded to media and critics during that time. So, yeah, I think we're going to see similar things to that. I don't. Um, I'm not particularly high on Oklahoma City this year, nor am I particularly high on the idea of Russell Westbrook winning MVP. Um, not because of his competitiveness. I mean, he's probably the most competitive player in the NBA based on his attitude and aggression and just you know all-out kind of mentality. But oh, yeah. Um, yeah, his inefficiencies on offense without kind of the. <laughs> um, number one scoring option in Kevin Durant there. It's very difficult to see how he could potentially win the award and Oklahoma City could make the playoffs because those typically go hand in hand. And virtually that first matchup is on the number three, and, and you know, that's going to be a game on national television. It's going to be interesting to see how Westbrook attacks Durant and, Kurt and the Warriors and, and seeing how personal the game's going to be because it's going to be a physical game for sure. Oh, yeah. That's one of the most intriguing matchups this season, I think, just based on the drama there and, yeah. and kind of the feuding. I don't know if it'll be anywhere near as close as people are expecting it to be as far as the scoreline goes, but, you know, uh, you can definitely see some potential <laughs> feuding going on on the court between Durant and uh, Westbrook. Yep, some trash talking for sure. And I'm going to ask you this last question because I think this is probably what everybody's probably going to expect by the end of the season because most would say that the Warriors probably ruined the NBA season, but, you know, it's going to be interesting seeing to see a super team. You think it's going to be the Warriors and Cavaliers part three by the end of the uh, in June? Uh, yeah, it's hard to pick against that right now. <laughs> I mean, you just look at the squads and the rosters that they have. It's very, very difficult. Uh, yeah, I, I would fully expect to see Warriors-Cavaliers part three, um, and, and I, I think the Warriors will end up winning this one. I, I just don't see how there's a way – even with egos, even with the amount of top players they have, you know, I just don't see a way that they they can't come away with this title this year. Yeah, for sure. Th thanks, Oliver, for all the answers and the questions. You know, we'll be in contact, of course, for for your analysis on the NBA season as it starts next week. Of course. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, you too. Have a good day. We can't end the show without talking about football. Because there's so much to talk about New York sports right now and the football side of it. For instance, let's start off with the New York Jets and their situation at quarterback. Because let me tell you something. Monday night, that was the worst performance I've seen from the Jets this season. And, and to be honest, it was unwatchable. I mean, they, they were turning on the football. Their offense was stagnant. The defense just got beaten on the big play after big play. I mean, David Johnson had three rushing touchdowns. Are you kidding me? And you call yourselves a great defense when your defense is overrated, exposed, and more importantly, they don't even know what they're doing. Because I thought Bowles had this defense on point. But the fact of the matter is they're not even listening to him. I mean, it's kind of obvious with their body language. Most of the time, it's just giving up. <clears throat> I mean, we've seen this before with, with the Jets. When things go wrong, they start blaming each other. They start saying it's the coach's fault, it's the coach's plan. And, you know, that's, that's the right answers. You know, those are the right professional answers. But, come on. you you got to be kidding me. You, you can't tell me that you couldn't stop the Cardinals offense, who has been nothing more than the average team and the average offense throughout the whole season in these six games that they played. And you couldn't try to stop David Johnson when you have a stout running running defense? I mean, come on. You have a stout run defense. For, for many cases, that should be enough to at least slow them down. But let's not, let's not get into the quarterback because I was disgusted by Ryan Fitzpatrick for not doing anything at all. I mean, 
if you're going to be a starting quarterback for this team, you got to be able to throw some touchdowns and you got to make good decisions. But he keeps making the same decisions. He keeps throwing in a Brandon Marshall or anything because he has no one else to trust. And the defenses are pretty much just saying, you know what, let's just triple team Brandon Marshall because, you know, he's going to throw it to him when there's people open on the other side and they probably can catch the ball. But he's not even accurate with the ball as well. And the one interception that he threw in the second half that pretty much said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I got my money. Why am I playing? Because that's the bottom line which I see from Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know what, they paid me. Why, why am I playing so hard? We can't win. Just sit me out. Sit me out, coach. And you know what he did? You know what Bowles did? He just started Smith in the, in the fourth quarter. But he should have started Smith in the, in the beginning of the second half because they put Smith in another tight situation for no reason, and then he throws a pick. <clears throat> and then people are going to say, well, you know, Bowles put him in because as a reliever. But come on, man. You, you, you know deep inside you just want to put him in because Fitzpatrick was just terrible. I mean, he was just really, really terrible. And based on that, I mean, there, there was a tweet here from Rich Semini at the time in the game. You know, Jets backup quarterback Geno Smith just took off his baseball, you know, hat and flung it. He's basically on the sideline. You know, he wants to get into the game. That's some comment out of nowhere. Somebody said that Bose is racist. And I don't understand how Bose is racist from that, from starting, from not trying to start Smith. I mean, we're not trying to get to a little race thing here, but you know, I think it was more of the coaching staff being comfortable who who they wanted to decide as the quarterback. And now you heard it from this week, Gino Smith be starting at the quarterback position, la la la. You know, all that professional answers that they say. My my call, not Woody Johnson's, not Mike McCannon, not the coaching staff putting into it. And to be honest, we all know that it was the amount of time before this is going to happen. Fitzpatrick has thrown five touchdowns and 11 interceptions. He has the worst completion percentage in the league right now. I mean, you, you can't get any worse than a guy who threw six interceptions against the Chiefs, who threw a couple of them against the Seahawks. I mean, you got to understand something here. If you're a guy who's done that, I mean, this was Smith, first of all. They probably would have already, after the first incident, say, you know what, you're done for the game. That's it. Like, we're not going to even try to trust you to throw six interceptions. But, they, you know, they trust in Fitzpatrick for throwing six interceptions. We talked about this before on, on the show. You know, that was a disaster and everything. But at some point, I mean, in your mind, you just got to say don't throw the ball anymore after the fourth interception. That should be like a limit. But now that they started Smith, what can we expect from him? Because he sit out pretty much a year and a half if they got punched in the face. You know, Barry Marshall made some smart comments saying, you know, he punched his way through adversity because he got punched in the face. And now we're going to see if maybe he could be the spark on the offense. But to be honest, is he really going to be the person that is the franchise quarterback of this, of this team? Because it's not Bowles and McCann. This isn't Smith's uh, pick. They didn't, they, they didn't pick Smith. You know, it was in the John Isaac era, which was, was a disaster as well because it only gave him two years. And that wasn't even good enough to say if this guy was going to be a good manager or not. <clears throat> Woody Johnson back back Bowles and McCann saying he's got a long term plan. So, you know, they just want to win games right now. Can we expect Smith to have a good game against the Ravens? Can we expect Smith to throw touchdowns, to make good decisions, to not turn over the football or throw interceptions or fumble the ball? Pretty much I just explained everything of the worst possible situation which Geno Smith does all of that and is what he is. Or can we expect a much more poise, confident, you know, a leader type of player on Sunday, which a lot of players in that locker room don't see, but they respect for what he, respect him for his talent, for what he is, you know, physically, be able to throw the ball, can move around the pocket. How is Chad Gailey gonna Chad Gailey going to actually put Smith around a very good? you know, situation in which he can be the best he can be against this Ravens defense. Will they throw the ball a lot more? Will they rely more on Matt Forte? Now, they need to rely more on Matt Forte, but the problem is he hasn't been productive as well. So you got to go with plan B, which is Bilal Powell. Can he be able to withstand 20 touches? Can he catch the ball out of the outfield? You know, these are many questions that they're going to have to answer on Sunday. But let me tell you this. 
this is pretty much an audition for him. Because if he fails, and you know Fitzpatrick is a backup, but if he fails, they gotta have to just ride with it because they know they're at one and five. They mathematically still in it, but we all know they're done because unless they win ten straight like the Chiefs last year, this season is done for the Jets. But they're waiting for Bryce Petty. Hopefully, he's ready by next week against the Browns because that is, is the perfect opportunity to put it on a rookie court. But not against the Patriots, not against a top team. No, the Browns are the perfect opponent for Bryce Petty. And if Smith plays poorly, they're going to put Bryce Petty in the next game. But if Smith plays well, I mean, you can't just take him out after one game saying, you know what? Hey, listen, we had Smith play one game because we want to get ready for Bryce Petty. So, you know, we're 2-5, so we're going to put the rookie quarterback in. No, it just looks bad then. So they need to make a good decision right here based on Smith's performance. Now, I, I believe that Smith's probably going to play solid and they're going to put him in another chance against the Browns and maybe they'll squeeze a win against the Ravens. But if he doesn't, and, you know, you got Bryce Petty. And then you got maybe Christian Hackenberg, but I don't think he's going to play this season anyway. So we're going to figure out what this Jets team's going to be in, in the next couple of games. But we know one thing. Season's over. We are looking for the future right now. We have to find a franchise quarterback. As us Jeff fans, we have to understand that because we have a franchise quarterback as Joe Namath, who has thrown more interceptions than touchdowns as well, which is kind of sad for our franchise, even though we have one Super Bowl. But going from one New York team, we go now to the Giants. And looking at the Giants, this whole Josh Brown situation, look, listen, they're, they're his teammates, okay? They, they got to support him no matter what. Now, he may have done bad decisions with domestic violence, another case in which Ray Rice had. And he, he has been in the league since then. But, you know, as teammates and the coaching staff, they got support him. But if you're a franchise, especially as a classy franchise, and Damian Woody, who who just went off on, on this franchise, saying they're a classy franchise or not, you got to make the decision to just let him go. <clears throat> You're not paying a lot of money. Two years, four million. That's nothing. For a kicker, it's, it's it's you know, average salary. I don't think I've seen a kicker get paid like 20 million a year. I mean, I don't think we've seen that before. And for us, of course, it'll be making a lot of money if we make two years, four million. But the Giants, they, they need to understand they got to move forward from this. They can't be part of this issue in the mess of violence with the NFL because the NFL screwed up. They're getting one game of suspension, and then he's back. Then they have more document information about this, and now it's become worse. <coughs> Brown has problems. Brown has big-time problems. He needs to find a way to get this right and just get out of it. Because if he doesn't get out of it, it's, it's just going to hurt him and it's going to hurt the team. And, you know, if it, of course, if it, the Cruz, excuse me, is supporting him, you know, you have Domin- Domin- Dominique Rogers-Kamari supporting him as well. Eli Manning is saying the right words. Matt can do is saying the right words. You know, they're, they're all trying to be behind him, support him. But they got to let him go. <clears throat> and this is a poor matchup for them in London because win or lose, we're determining what they are as a, as a franchise with character with this issue. And this is much more serious. Now, we know that they're facing the Rams and Todd Gurley and Beckham with his hip injury and he's going to play regardless and all that stuff. But they gotta move forward from this issue. They just got. They just gotta focus on being a franchise, not about winning. It's about character. You know, winner. Like we said, win or lose, you gotta be able to get away from this and have character in yourselves by letting him go. Let's go from that now to the Giants, though. They gotta win this game. Beckham's gonna play. Eli's gonna play. You know, the whole team's gonna play. They gotta play well. They gotta stop Gurley. Which, you know, Gurley hasn't had a productive year, and I have him on fantasy, so I'm not starting him against the Giants defense because they're going to stop him. And to be honest, I should have just traded him a long time ago because my fantasy teams have been horrendous this season. And in all five leagues, I have no winning record whatsoever. But, like I said before, Giants should win this game. They're going to London. Yes, the time difference is different. It starts at 9.30 on Sunday, and you got to wake up really early, so you're pretty much watching football all day on Sunday from 9.30 all the way to midnight, basically. So, I expect it to be a, a solid game. Uh, I think uh, the Giants <coughs> have to find a way to win this game because the Cowboys are the first in the division. They have Dak Prescott pretty much saving the Cowboys season by playing well. Because I don't think we expected Prescott to go 5-1 and one with this team. Not turning on the football in order to interception. Breaking records as a rookie. 
now they got themselves a little quarterback controversy. But really, I don't think it's a controversy when you have Prescott playing well and, and the chemistry is flowing with the team. And you put Romo in, and you're going to mess up everything. Because in team sports, you need chemistry to succeed. You can have all this talent in the world, like the Blue Jays, for instance, and, and they stink. Or you can have the Rockets, even for, I'm just saying in basketball now, right now, the Rockets, when they have all this talent with Dwight Howard, James Harden, and all these other three pointers, and they just stink. You know, they have this talent. Football, it's a 53-man roster. You need talent to succeed. It's a team sport. And if everything flows well, why would you mess it up? For somebody's ego? For somebody's pride? For a person who's injury-prone most of the time? For a guy who, who had good seasons, who had great seasons, actually, as a quarterback, probably being a top-five quarterback when healthy. But the fact of the matter is, is that he's getting older. He's in that Drew Bledsoe situation. And, and that Prescott's in a Tom Brady situation. They're playing well. Why mess it up? Of course, Jerry Jones is going to find a way to mess it up because that's what he does best. This is, of course, America's team. I'm putting quotations in because it should really be the Patriots, even though I'm a New York fan, and it, and it disgusts me to see that the Patriots are should be uh, America's team, but it's always the Cowboys and what they do. But they need that Prescott to be a starting quarterback. If he's not starting quarterback, well, the Cowboys can say they lose two or uh, three games and be like, well, you know, Romo's in and he's facing tougher teams or he's just getting used to the chemistry with his teammates. But the fact of the matter is that they need to have Prescott at quarterback. And they will. I, w- I want to be shocked, though, if they don't. But this is the NFC East division that the Giants need to take advantage of. They need to find a way to get back into the conversation of winning the division and maybe making a playoff appearance as a wild card, which is going to be very tough considering how the Cardinals are, the Seahawks, and the Packers and the Vikings. Packers might get the wild card. <laughs> yeah, the Cardinals get, they might have the Cardinals get the wild card. So it's going to be very tough. Should be a good football weekend, though. I expect it to be a lot of great games, hopefully, because Thursday nights stink and Monday nights stink. And Sunday night football should be good this week. But you never know. Seahawks might blow out the Cardinals on the road. And then we're back to square one. NFL having terrible ratings because the football games are just terrible. And they flat out stay. That's all, folks. I want to thank Oliver from Basketball Insider being on the show. You can follow him at AllMarinoNBA. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Follow the Slam City Facebook page and the Twitter account at SlamCity underscore 360. Follow the host at Morris 10 that's me and you can follow Jeremy at Jeremy EPS and follow the big Donkey360 website at the Donkey360 because it can only be one see you next week